Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Fred. Morning, church. too kind. Thank you, thank you. It really is so good to see you and so good to be together today. Um, This is going to be my first sermon since May 8th. It was Mother's Day last time I preached and I was thinking about it. The last time I went four months without preaching was 1998. Uh, I was 18 and um, All that to say, once again, I want to express my gratitude to you all, uh, to our staff and elders and to our congregation for the incredible gift that the sabbatical was this last summer. If you were here or with us last Sunday, I gave a report on my time away. If you missed it, the short story is it was awesome. And I was, uh, it was so good to be away and it's so good to be back and so good to see all of you. And uh, I'm grateful and uh, coming back ready to go. So, um, it's an amazing setting in which we get to worship this morning. Of course, we were hoping to be out uh, at the amphitheater overlooking the lake. But um, even though we couldn't be outside this morning, those of us that have been here for the weekend have been immersed in the beauty and the majesty of God's creation. And what happens when we as the people of God join together to worship is that we aren't actually doing anything that unique. All we're doing is joining our hearts together with the song of praise that's already being sung by all of creation. When we worship God, our creator and redeemer, we're adding our voice to the choir of the lakes and the mountains and the trees and the rivers and the birds and the frogs and the flies and all of it. All of creation sings the praise of God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Which is why we know that Christians have long held that God has actually given us not just one sacred book, but two. In addition to the scriptures, God has also given us the book of his creation, if you will. We have both God's word and God's world as ways that God has given us to know who he is and what he's like in his love, in his power, in his justice, in his beauty, and in his grace. And so as we come to God's word this morning, we are coming as part of God's world joining together with the rest of his creation to praise him as creator and redeemer of all things, including us. So this is what we might call the gospel of Jesus, and it's the same gospel that Paul is writing about in the book of Romans. In our passage that Fred read for us this morning, Romans uh, chapter 12, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to some of the very first communities of Christians in the world, churches around the area of Rome. And what Paul is essentially doing in this letter is giving a very thorough and detailed explanation of this gospel message, that creator God has entered his creation in Christ and laid down his life for the life of the world. 
And then as he gets towards the end of the letter, Paul starts to unpack in more practical terms what does it look like for followers of Jesus to live out this gospel. In other words, if it is in fact true that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, then how should followers of his son go about living in the world that God loves? And so before he goes into detail about how followers of Jesus ought to interact with the world around us, he spends some time in chapter 12 talking about how we ought to interact with one another within the church. So I want to pause for a moment and make sure that we get this. Paul's not just talking in generic terms about some hypothetical situation that some Christians may find themselves in on occasion. Paul is writing to specific communities of Christ followers who have names and faces, groups that may look something like this. And so it's not an abstract or theoretical uh, word that Paul's giving, but he's saying, I want you to look around the room at the people who you are in community with. And the question isn't like, God, maybe give me an opportunity to live this out someday. Maybe one day I'll have a chance to apply this scripture to my life. The idea is, it's here. It's now. These are the people. In fact, take a moment right now. Just look around. Look around at all these good-looking people in here. This is the context. Not some other time, some other place, some other group. These people. God's word would say, how are we to see and to interact with one another? And so in our passage this morning, Paul basically gives... 16 short, poppy, direct imperatives for how followers of Christ are to relate to one another. Uh, For this morning, I just want to focus in on one of them. In verse 10, Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in love. So Christ's church, according to Paul, ought to be a community of people who are, quote, devoted to one another in love. Doesn't sound too complicated, but what does it mean? Now, of course, we all know and have talked about frequently that love is central to who God is and what God does, and love is what we as Christians are supposed to be known by. That much is clear, um, but we also know that love is a word that gets thrown around a lot and used in lots of different ways and defined in lots of different ways. So I love my wife, and I also love nachos, right? I love them in different ways, but we use the same word. So love has always been a multifaceted, multidimensional word. Um, C.S. Lewis has a book that you may know called The Four Loves, where he walks through the four main ancient Greek words that the Bible uses for love. So real quick, it's philia, which is the kind of love that exists between friends. It's the love of friendship. So Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Philanthropy is the work of giving out of the love for humanity. That's the first one. The second Greek word is storge, or storge is the kind of love that exists between family members. It's the natural instinctive affection that parents have for their children and that children have for their parents. That's the familial storge love. 
Then there's eros. This is the romantic, attraction kind of love. It's where we get the word erotic. And then finally, there's agape. It's the kind of love that God is and the kind of love that God has for us, that never-ending, self-sacrificing, relentlessly pursuing love that he has for you and that he has for me. So those are the four loves. There's more, but that's Lewis's four. And the question then when we come to Romans 10 is when Paul says we are to be devoted to one another in love, which word for love do you think he uses? We could do a survey or something, but I don't want to make, uh, make it weird. So um, you might think it's agape. Agape feels like the safe Christian Sunday school answer. It's in the Bible after all. Uh, agape is used elsewhere in this text, but interesting enough, in verse 10, it's the word storge, which is familial love, the kind of love that exists between kids and parents and parents and kids and siblings instinctively within a family. Familiar love. Lewis calls it fondness through familiarity, which, if we're honest, is probably not the most exciting of the bunch, right? Like, rather than being about romance or passion or sacrifice, storge is love marked by familiarity, (laughs) Like, Pete, how much do you love your kids? Well, I'm familiar with them. Um, Okay, so it doesn't sound that exciting, but storge is actually one of the purest, most powerful forms of love there is. Why? Because the reason I love my kids so much is that they're my kids. I love them because they're mine. Like, your kids are fine. They're, They're great and everything. I might like them, but I will never love your kids with the kind of love that I have for my kids because my kids belong to me, and I belong to them. So here's the thing about storge. You don't get to choose your family, do you? In fact, most of us, if we had the chance to choose our family, we may have chosen differently, right? (laughs) Like a fantasy football draft, but for families. Um, I'm guessing our roster would look a little different if it were up to us. But that's not how it works. We don't get to choose our families. Our families are chosen for us. Which, again, doesn't always sound like great news. We know how painful family is for so many of us. So to say that we are to love each other with a familial love is complicated. But here is what's so beautiful about storge love. If the reason that I love my kids isn't because of anything specific about them, because they're funny or talented or smart or cool or well-behaved or whatever, all of that may be true, but none of those are the reasons that I love Emma and Mo and Myla. There's nothing they did that makes me love them. Which also means there's nothing they can do to make me not love them. I don't love them because I chose them. I love them because they were chosen for me. Now, I should say the caveat in this whole thing is if there were a fantasy draft for kids and I only got to choose three, I would choose Emma and Mo and Myla every time. 
but you get the point. So, um, storge is the instinctive love that we have for those who were chosen for us. In the Bible, storge is the love between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, between Hannah and her husband, Elkanah. Storge is the kind of love that we're told Jesus has for his closest friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so when Paul says in Romans 12.10, as members of Christ's body, that we are to be devoted to one another in storge, in familial love, it makes sense. Because after all, if God is my father and God is your father, then what does that make us? We're a family. For better or worse, whether we like it or not, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like our family of origin or our biological family, we don't get to choose our family. Our family is chosen for us. So you might say, yeah, well, I chose Antioch to be my church, which is true, but you didn't get to choose who else was going to choose Antioch to be their church. (laughs) Our family is chosen for us. So as followers of Jesus, if this is true, then it means that not only do we belong together and how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity, not only do we belong together, but we actually belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to one another. The truth is, as a church... We're in a place where we are relearning what it means to live life together as the family of God. After two plus years of COVID and conflict and masks and mandates, a lot of wonderful people have left and a lot of wonderful people have joined us. And we're figuring out again new rhythms and forms and relationships and what it means to be together, and to belong to each other. The truth is our family's been through a lot recently. And so it's okay to acknowledge we're not yet where we'd like to be when it comes to being the kind of community that we hope to become. If we're not there yet, that's okay. It takes time. But it also takes effort. It also takes intentionality. It also takes diligence, which is why Paul doesn't just say treat each other with love. He says be devoted to one another in love. It's almost like he anticipates that there are going to be times where we'd rather not. It's almost like he anticipates that it's going to be difficult in different seasons or in different relationships to stay connected to each other, to stay invested in each other. And so he says, it's going to get hard. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. But be devoted. This is going to require persistence and patience and perseverance. And so if you've been around Antioch for any length of time, you've heard me try to say some of these same ideas in different ways. For example, we've always said that you only have true community if there's someone there who you wish wasn't. Until then, you're just a click. Or we've also said things like, if church is supposed to be the place I go to get all of my spiritual needs met, then it's very poorly designed. But 
If church is where I go to learn how to love others well, then it's perfectly designed. Or we say things like Christianity is a team sport. You're never meant to do it on your own. Or no Christian is an only child. Salvation is a community-forming event. The Bible is relentlessly realistic about the fact that life in the family of God is not always easy. And we all can now testify to that. But as Eugene Peterson says, there's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's sin in the church. But there's no other place to be a Christian. <laughs> so fam, I want to commend you this morning. Even for being devoted to this family enough to be here today, to prioritize and to schedule making the trip to come for the weekend, for the day, whatever. I know from talking to many of you this week that just showing up here took a lot of guts for some of us. It's intimidating, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, it's draining. We feel like we don't know anybody or aren't known. I get that, and I understand. And so I want to commend you for showing up. You do it, we're putting in the work, and we're trusting that as we continue into this new season in front of us, that God, by his spirit, is forming us into people who are learning to lay down our lives for one another in the ways that the world has never seen before. So, uh, in closing, I have a friend um, in my DMIN program who's a Bonhoeffer scholar, and he is working on implementing some of Bonhoeffer's ideas about Christian community into the context of a Lutheran church in L.A. And one of his commitments that he and his church community have called each other to that's radically countercultural goes like this. It says, we commit to time alone so that we can be healthy together. And we commit to time together so that we can be healthy when we're alone. And I wonder if Jesus might be calling each of us in one way or another to take our next step of faith and obedience in being devoted to one another in familial love. Because, of course, our devotion to one another is ultimately just a reflection and a response of the love that Christ has shown us. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus isn't ashamed to call us his brothers and our sisters. Christ is our king but he's also our brother. His father has now become our father, and so whether we like it or not, we're stuck together. We belong together. We belong to each other. We are the family of God. And so this morning, we're going to welcome some new members into the family of God together. Ever since the beginning of Christianity, Getting baptized has been something of an initiation ceremony into the familia day, the family of God. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. That's not a category that exists in the Bible. Um, I had an amazing sermon illustration planned this morning that has to do with you looking out over the lake... And specifically paying attention to the horizon of the lake. So, I still get to see the lake. In fact, I wasn't going to, now I do. Um, 
But if you don't know, there's a lake behind you. And imagine you're looking at it. <laughs> and what you'll notice is that um, that line on the other side of Big Lake is perfectly horizontal. Because we know that water is a self-leveling substance. When you use a level, it's a tool that uses water to show when something is perfectly flat, right? And here's what's so beautiful about the symbolism and the imagery of using water as an initiation ceremony into the family of God. As you look at over the lake, it's com a completely, completely flat line. But if you were to look down beneath the surface of the water, what you would see is all sorts of mounds and cliffs and rocks and little valleys. I looked at a topographical map under Big Lake. There's places where it's only seven or eight feet deep. There's places where it's 70 or 80 feet deep. But when we look at it from here, it looks completely flat. Baptism puts us all at the exact same level. The waters of baptism are self-leveling. That's what's so countercultural and beautiful about the family of God. When we look around, those people that you were looking at earlier, beneath the surface, we may look very, very different. Some of us are old, some of us are young, some of us are rich, some of us are poor, some of us are married, some of us are single, some of us have PhDs, some of us have GEDs, some of us are duck fans, some of us know how to read. We, uh, I'm just saying, there's room for all of us here. Through the eyes of the world, we may look very different, but in the waters of baptism, in the kingdom of God, we are brothers and sisters. Last summer at Crescent Lake, if you were there, Jen and I had the privilege of baptizing our son, Mel. And as we stood with him in the lake, I got to tell Mo. Buddy, you will always be my son. But now you're my brother, too. Um, what an amazing invitation. There's nothing like it in the world. To be invited into the family of God, co-heirs with Christ. His father becomes our father. And so Pastor Linda is going to come and introduce us to our new family members this morning. And uh, then we're going to close and head down to the lake in just a few moments.